wife, Lindsay, my better half, and I brought her, her up here to help me today. Is that okay? Okay. They don't have a choice in it now. You no, they don't. No, they don't. They, they agreed with you because you didn't give them a choice. Well, we're practicing, <laughs> right? We're practicing. Um, but, uh, you know, we're the lead pastors of our Nederland campus as well as our Beaumont campus and just don't get to be over here enough. But I will tell you that we're already on the schedule to be back in March, so I'm looking back forward to that, so I'll be back with you. Um, yeah. that, was, that was my cue to take my seat. Yes, that was pointed. a cue to take your seat there. So uh, when we, we've been in a series, uh, oh, whoa, that was lower than I expected. <laughs> we've been in a series, I'm like lower than the pulpit now, it's like, we've been in a series uh, here in all of our campuses called What If? Asking the question, daring to ask God, what if? What if our dreams came true? What if we were out of debt? What if we started the business? What if we, uh, you know, got married and had the kids or went back to college? Or uh, what if, what if? Just whatever your dreams are in life, what, what if? But focusing primarily on what if we were not a slave to debt? What if we could do what we want to do? The Bible says that money answers all things. Most of the problems we face in our life could be solved if we had more money. Now, money can't make you happy. No. Can make you smile. But Lindsay said money can make you smile. <laughs> we were, so kind of what we're doing today, we did in, in Beaumont and Nederland last week, and, and we were talking a lot about handling finances and things. And for some reason, as it related to the ladies, everything kept coming back to new shoes. So apparently new shoes make you smile, ladies. I don't know. I don't understand. It's foundational in our joy. Is it? Yes. Is it? Um, but we're just asking this question. You know, the Bible says this in Deuteronomy 8 and 18, to remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So often we see people in our lives, and you may know some, uh, I know that there are some right here in this room today, they just have this gift of making money doesn't matter what they do. They never seem to have a real job. They walk around talking on the phone and having lunch with people all the time. We found them. They're right there in the Senate. They highlighted uh, uh, themselves over here. Um, they, they never really seem to have a job, and yet they just seem to always be making more money than everyone else. When the rest of us are stressed out about making money, they're not. Yeah. Can I tell you something? You have that same gift, that same ability. You may not have known it. You may not have recognized it. But God has already given it to you. You couldn't earn it. It was a gift. He gave, he gave you this ability. The question is, what are you doing with the ability, with the gift that he's already given you? Have we developed it? Have we worked on it? Or have we said, well, you know, my grandparents were broke. My parents were broke. I've always been broke, so I'm just going to be broke. No, no. Lindsay and I decided in our life that we are sick and tired of living like 70% of Americans, paycheck to paycheck or lower. We're tired of being the slave to the lender, and we want to get free in our life. We, we want to be free. Um, and so that's what we're doing. And so we've been challenging our church and challenging families 
One of the great life teams that we have in, in all of our sessions is Financial Peace Life Team. And I pray, and I'll talk about it more throughout today, but I pray that that class is packed out and they have to separate and add more classes. It will change your life. Everything looks different when you're debt-free. Everything looks different when you have money in your bank account. Everything looks different. Just this year, we, we started, and, and we started on, on our get-out-of-debt plan, and we built an emergency fund, and within a few weeks of having our emergency fund where we wanted to and going on to our debt snowball plan, I took my truck in to get the oil changed, and before I left there, I had spent $650. Has anybody ever had an experience like that? But you know what? I never worried about it one second, because... We had already been doing what we were supposed to, and I called, I called my financial advisor. I said, does this qualify as an emergency? No, that wasn't you. <laughs> and I, 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 but I called him. I said, does this qualify as an emergency? And he said, that's the very definition, if, definition of emergency. Things happen. Things are going to break. Something on your house is going to go out. And, and so we've already been able to rebuild it now and more. And, so, and God is really blessing us as we're faithful to God. You know, he, he rewards good stewardship. Time and time again, Jesus talked about how when, when we do what we're supposed to and we're faithful and good stewards and we grow what he gives us, he takes from those who aren't and he gives us more. He gives it to the person who is growing and, and doing what they're supposed to. And so I want to be the person that God isn't looking at me going, I can't give you more because, you know... You, you're not taking care of what I've given you. You're not growing what I've given you. I want to be the, the servant the, that God is looking at, the steward that is saying, hey, you've multiplied it. Here's some more. How many of you want to be that kind of person? Yeah. You can. You can. You can. So what we've been doing in all of our, our campuses is taking questions, taking questions. Can I get somebody to bring me something I can move this down lower on? I don't know if one of my ushers can help me. Uh, Jonathan, maybe even that stool right there or that music stand, anything that's not being used would really help me. So we've been taking questions on all of our campuses. We got so many questions, there's no way I can answer them all. But we're going to uh, sure give it our best shot. Yes, thank you guys. And we're going to try to answer some questions. And at the end of the service today, if you will, ah, perfect. You are the man. <laughs> I want to share with you. I, He's not the man. You're not the man. You are not the one. <laughs> I, want to, I want to speak a word that God has just had in my spirit for this year. Uh, actually, two words. One is over our families collectively. And one is specifically over businesses. I want to speak a prophetic word over your business this year and, and really see what God does today. But first, we're going to answer some questions. Let me start it out like this. Um, as we answer all of these questions, as we go through this series, I, I want to steer you away from borrowing money in your life. When you can, don't borrow, save, and then go purchase it. What happens is we get caught in a cycle of debt. And we go down and we borrow money, we purchase something, and about the time we get it paid off, it's old and worn out and we want a new one, and so we go do it again, and we get caught in a cycle of debt, and one debt leads to the next debt. 
And, and so I want to I give you some principles, but it starts with when you can, don't borrow money. Now, already you're looking at me angrily. It's okay. But here's the truth. Sometimes we have to borrow money in our lives. We do. The Bible's very clear. One of the reasons that God does not want us to go into debt is because he says that the lender is slave to the borrower, and God does not want us to be enslaved to anything or anyone except, except when we willingly make ourselves a bondservant to Christ. Does that make sense? Paul said, I, I, Paul, bondservant of Christ. He was free, but in his freedom, he said, Jesus, you've delivered me, and because of that, I give you my life. Beyond that, we don't want to be a slave to anything. We don't want to be a servant to anything or anyone except for our God. So, but sometimes we do have to borrow money. So what does the Bible say about that? Here's the thing. In the Old Testament, he talks a lot about not borrowing money and, and what happens when we're slave. But he also, uh, God gives us some principles, if you'll study, of what to do when we are in debt. And here's, can I give you some rules when you do have to borrow? Is that be, that be okay? First off, I don't want you to borrow, but if you do, number one, uh, God put in this plan where every few years, all the debt in the nation was wiped out. How many of you have ever studied that? So the principle of that is this, God never wanted us to be in debt longer than we had a plan to get out of. If you get in debt, make a short-term plan to get out. Don't, I know that when we go borrow money for a house loan, they're trying to sell you on that 30 years, that 30-year note, so that you can borrow more money and get your note less, Right? I just want to give you this novel idea. They have 15-year notes. I know that, that we, we always think 25 or 30 years. Try the 15-year. Buy less house. Get out of debt sooner. Pay it off sooner. And then see what my, God might do for you in the future. All right? So borrow as little as you can, number one, and borrow it for as short of time as you can, number two. Borrow, borrow When they come in and they say, hey, this, you know, uh, we go down and we, we determine, and I'll talk about this here in a minute, but we say when we're going to borrow a house, buy a house or a car, you go into your bank. How many of you have ever bought a house before? Bunch of you. Excellent. I love it. Uh, God wants you to own your own home in your lifetime. It may not be today, but in your lifetime, he wants you to own your own home. We go in and we get a pre-approval amount. And they say, you're pre-approved for $200,000 or $300,000 or $500,000 or $3 million, wherever you are. And so we go out and we shop and we find a house that we're pre-approved for. But that pre-approval amount may not be what you need to spend. Just because your bank will loan it to you does not mean you can afford it. And that's just the truth. Just because the bank says, yes, we'll loan it to you, they're trying to make money off of you. And I'm not mad at them. I don't think banks are evil, but they are a for-profit business trying to make money off of you. So just because they'll loan it to you doesn't mean you should borrow it. Amen. While we're here, one of the first questions, Lindsay, that was asked to us is, how much money, how do we know how much home we can afford? How much can we afford? Well, here's a basic principle. You can write this down. Your take-home pay, your take-home monthly pay, not your gross income, not before you take out all your taxes, but your, what you get in your paycheck. 25% of that 
is what you should be able to afford in a monthly note. You're doing math right now, and some of you are going, oh, shoot, Pastor. It's very quiet in here. I know. I see. They're, they're calculating. 25% of your household monthly pay take home is, is what you should be looking for in a note. note. Now, the bank may loan you 50% or 60%. You know how it is. When you go in and ask for that loan, you make your finances look really good. You forget to put things on the list. Some of them are nodding their heads. Other ones are looking at like, I've never done that, Pastor Rennan. I don't know what you're talking about. 25%. All right. So don't borrow any more than you can. And, and reject the... How many of you have ever heard the term, well, that's good debt? You ever heard the term good debt? It's a lie. It's, it's a lie. There is no good debt because at the end of it, it's all debt right? And debt makes us slave to the lender or to the, uh, to, yes. Yes. What I, did I say it that right? That made sense. Okay. There is no good debt. There might be better debt than others. I, I was listening and, and studying through this and I, and I saw where, um, like 750,000 Americans have credit cards with interest rates up to 59%. Okay. So that's going to be really bad debt, but it's all bad. All right short and as little as you can. Now, let's jump right in here to another question. Here's a, here's a great one. How many of you have kids that are headed to college either now in college or going to go to college someday? Out of you. All right. One of the great questions we had is, Pastor, one of our families said, I've got two seniors in college. They're going to college this year. What in the world do we do? We don't want to be in debt the rest of our lives. All right. So how do you, what do you do? Well, if you have time, there are some investment things you can do, and I highly advise you see an investment uh, specialist. But one of the greatest, a couple of the greatest bits of information that I've heard, um, Pastor Kirk Ellender, one of our uh, pastors in Nederland, who's also a financial advisor, he said, uh, you know, Pastor, I was listening to the radio one day, and I was listening to a guy who specializes in helping people pay for college. And so someone called in on his radio show and asked him, and he said to tell your kids that you're giving them a grant. And they said, really? What does that mean? He said, yeah, you're going to grant them the ability to work and pay for their own college. <laughs> That's phenomenal right there. We could end right there. Let's just go on home right now. I got two kids headed that way. I want to grant them the ability to go to work and at least pay for some portion of their college. Yeah. Can I tell you two benefits of it? I know, I'm, I know you want to talk. Can I tell you two benefits? <laughs> two benefits. Number one, huh? That's not right. I'm going to let you talk. Okay, okay. Number one, uh, when you work for things, you tend to value them more. Things that are free, we tend to not value as much. Go look at their room and all the things you paid for and how they're floating around the floor and torn and holes in them. They lost it, right? Make your kid pay for their cell phone one time, but they don't lose it. <laughs> Number two, kids just getting out of high school find themselves with a huge amount of freedom and free time and decision-making that they were never prepared, what they've never had before, and they often end up getting in trouble. Parents, can I get an amen? Amen. If you were that kid, can I get an amen? amen. You need to say amen. A say amen. Amen, it was not I did. Me. Okay. okay. <laughs> Here's the deal. 
When you're going to school all day and working all night, you tend to have less time and energy to get in trouble. I know my mom's laughing at me right now, but I'm being dead serious. Wear those students out. They won't have any energy to go get in trouble. They'll be like, man, I'm too tired to go drinking at the lake this weekend. We need to get spiritual. We're going to get spiritual in a minute, okay? It's going to be all right. Did you want to say something? I did. My cousin uh, is a doctor. We're super proud of her. She graduated. <laughs> yeah. We're, why are you laughing at that? I don't know. She's you a doctor. And um, her name is Dr. Shana Parsons, and she graduated uh, with her doctorate in psychology. She's been out for a few years, and um, she's single, and she has no children, and she has no debt. And you would think that she'd have this awesome car and a really nice house. And I said, Shana, when are you going to buy a really nice car? You know, you deserve it. You're Dr. Shana Parsons now. You know, you can do that. And she's like, not after the financial uh, aid that I had to pay to get this doctor. I said, she goes, if she could go back and do it different, that she would have gone to a lesser college and not had to take out all the student loan debt that she that she got, not financial aid, I'm sorry, financial uh, loans. And now she says, that's going to take me years to pay off the financial um, student loans loans that I had to borrow to become a doctor when I could have done it in a different way. Yeah, so student loans are a great thing, but they're a last resort. So make your kid go stand in line for the grants. You never know what they might be available for. Um, Fill out every scholarship application you can. Go online, go to scholarships.com, and just make a full-time job out of them f- filling out scholarship applications. My father made me do it. I'm telling you, I, Dad, I don't want... That was back in the AOL.com. Yeah, hours of filling out scholarship applications. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Um, thirdly, and you hit on this, so one of the ladies in Nederland was helping me last week, and, and she had two kids. She was a single mom who put both of her kids through college. All right. So, so she had to learn what to do. Right. She started doing research for her son. Her and her son started doing research. Here's what they found, just for instance. They decided to send her son to school at a junior college or for two years, and then he went on to uh, a full-time, co- a, a, a bigger college, to Baylor. At Blinn, which is where he started, $50 per credit hour on average. Okay. At Baylor, where he finished, $1,500 per credit hour. You can start someplace and end someplace else. And and at the end of the day, he still has a degree from Baylor University, has a great job, is is already doing amazing things in his career. (laughs) Do your research, scholarships, you know, stand in line. And don't feel like, uh, send them to a state school if you can. You can save money there. Out of state, immediately your price is going to go up. If they can live at home, save the money. I know they want to get out, live at home, stay, save the money. Uh, there are options available. Here's another question along these lines that uh, someone asked in, in this campus actually said, I've got three kids, I want to go back to law school, but I'm a single mom, what do I do? Well, there is no easy way to get that done. We got this question from every campus. I want to go back to school, but I'm a single parent. What do I do? There is no easy way to get it done. But I will tell you that there are things available to you now that were not available 
15 years ago, and it starts with going to school online. I've been to school online. I went to Regent University online, absolutely loved it, and I highly recommend it. You can fit it around your schedule more. When, when you have a few minutes, you can go to work. Uh, it's very difficult to raise three kids as a single mom, work full time, and then find to go, time to go down to a school and get a good education, then go home and do all your homework. I highly recommend one of the girls working for us in Nederland uh, and Beaumont is a single mom, and she goes to school online. She works at her lunchtime. She does her online schooling, and then she goes back and does her work. She brings her lunch to work every day, and she graduates in May uh, from Lamar University. Uh, is, I think so. Yeah. It can be done. Check out grants. Check out, there's, there are grants available for single parents going back to school. Find those out. Get the information. Okay? Yeah. Educate yourself. We should all be learners in our lives. Don't ever stop learning. A lot of people, some, some people in here don't feel like this might be super spiritual, but there are some parents in here that feel like they just received the, uh, the Holy Spirit. I, I, I see them laying out. They're falling out in the spirit yeah. right now. So one of the questions we have is, Pastor, should I get a home equity loan to pay off our credit cards that have a much higher interest rate? Seems like a good question, right? The answer is no. Here's why. For most people, when we do things like that, and Lindsay and I tried it, so this is speaking from experience, but as we began reading, we're like, oh, we were one of those most people. We don't change our spending habits. And so, therefore, not only do we go up in debt on our home, but we're right back in credit card debt within months. Do you know how fast you can fill up a credit card? You can fill them up very quickly. If we don't change our spending habits, it won't matter. I highly recommend the Snowball uh, Debt Plan. If you don't know what that is, first off, go to the Life Team. But what it means is you start with your lowest credit card. Don't worry about interest rate. Go to the lowest credit card um, balance that you have and put everything you can on that one, pay minimum payments on everything else. When you get that one paid off, roll all of that to the next one. Add it to the minimum payment when you're done with that and you'll watch how it will build in your life and you'll get them paid off quicker than you thought you could. You can get out of debt. I don't care how deep in debt you are, you can get out of debt. Pastor, how can I get out of credit card debt when I can only afford the minimum payment? I've been there. So if first thing is, I mean, there's only two things. There's income and expenses, right? It's pretty simple. There's income and expenses. So first thing is, you start budgeting, and we're going to talk about that in a second, and you get your spending under control, and you see if you can find money anywhere. $25, $50, $100, $200 can make all the difference in the world. So you get your expenses under control. Number two, you may have to find a way to bring in some more money. So I think Bishop may have showed you this chart earlier, and so I won't go back to it. If you didn't, go back to weeks one and two. You can find our messages from Nederland and Beaumont and download them, where I showed this chart of how if you could just find an extra $200 a month, how quickly you could get out of debt. If you, if you handled it the right way and you did the snowball effect, how quickly you could get out of debt. $200 a month is not that much. I mean, you, you can drive for Uber. You could tutor students, go to tutor.com, and you can tutor students. You could babysit, go to care, I think it's care.com. And you, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not joking. Two, find a way to make $200 a month. Babysit somebody's kids. You got your kids anyway. If they're all going to make a mess, just put them in the room, shut the door, and whatever don't, happens, happens. Don't do anything he just said. Don't just do that? Then. Don't do that. But babysitting is an option. Come on, that's dad parenting right there. Oh, they'll be all right. And that's why our kids have twitches. Uh. 
Hater. Hater. <laughs> My kids are smart and they are kind and they. Oh, and important. Um, that was a movie reference if y'all didn't get it. So find a way to make some, make some extra money and don't take the extra money and, and go to your favorite restaurant. Put it on your debt. When you're doing things you don't want to do, say, I'm getting out of debt right now. That's what I'm doing. It will work for you. Um, we started using an app I highly recommend. There's a number of them available. If you don't like this one, find another one. The app is free. There is a, a price if you want to connect it to your bank accounts. We paid it because it was absolutely worth it in our lives. It's called Every Dollar. It's, it's, it's put out by Dave Ramsey and his uh, company. We highly recommend it. And um, we started using it because in our life, and Lindsay can talk about this some, I've always handled the finances. I really like numbers. Numbers make sense to me. Numbers don't lie. I really like numbers. I like facts. I like truths. Lindsay does not like numbers, and she doesn't like, doesn't like they, details. They do lie. They do lie to me. Oh. Um, <laughs> I like numbers. She doesn't. And early on in our marriage, we were going to have this open relationship with numbers, with all the finances. <laughs> so we didn't make any money, okay? Um, we were, we were broke youth pastors. It's yes. okay. We, 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 y'all paid us good for what we did because we just hung out with teenagers. But, um, <laughs> and pastor teenagers, but we, were, we didn't make a lot of money. And mm -hmm. I told my parents when we got married, I said, listen, I'm going to need you to put me on the missions program at your church so I can get manicures and pedicures because we can't <laughs> afford that. They didn't. They Lindsay's family, you know, they, they did well. They lived in North Dallas. They lived in a nice home. They had money. They shopped at the Galleria. And I had, <laughs> they were blessed. Um, I, I shopped at Central Mall and, and Marshall's, okay? And you don't know where Central Mall is? That's the point, okay? You knew what the Galleria was. You don't know what Central Mall is. Um, uh, so, so I had been living on my own, and I was already broken in more debt than I could pay back when we got married. And it was the it was the funniest thing for us to come to this realization when she said, "I need to go get my nails done again." And I said, "You just got those done." And she said, "Yeah, but that was last week." And, she, and we had this realization where, in her world, you know, her that was maintenance. That was maintenance. That was like brushing my teeth. To you go know? get your nails done. And I couldn't figure out why we wouldn't go to Walmart and buy a $3 bottle of nail polish and use that for several months in a row. So <laughs> this was a collision of worlds, right? And so when I started talking about, to Lindsay about money, what happened when I started well, sharing finances first of with all, we, um, I had you amen just a minute ago, because you're the one that brought all of the, the stupid teenage debt. Why you got to keep bringing that up? And he brought that into our marriage. And so I didn't know about debt because my parents paid for all for everything in my life. And you so just knew about swiping the credit card. I just card. knew that you swiped the little card in the thing, and it paid for it. And so, um, <laughs> so these bills would come in, and since we had this open relationship with numbers in our marriage, he would tell me, we have this bill coming in, and we have this bill coming in, and we only brought in this amount of money, and I don't, you know, I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to have to figure out something, and we're going to have to eat ramen noodles, like, for the next week, and da-da-da-da, and you know how new, y'all, yeah, newly marrieds, did any of y'all go through that, where ramen noodles was a part of every night of meal, pro maybe just us, and so, 
basically, um, I like couldn't handle it, and I would end up in the corner, sucking my thumb in a fetal position, crying because we we're gonna die of starvation. And what are we gonna do? And um, that's a little—we're exaggerating. We're exaggerating, but it's true. I would fall apart every time my husband would tell us numbers, tell me numbers. I would fall apart. I couldn't handle the pressure of it, and. Um, that's when he knew he had to make a change and just not tell me and just give me a budget to stick to. Uh, and so he took over our finances. We knew you, he was the guy because he says numbers don't lie. I say numbers do lie. And, um, <laughs> and so he took over the finances in our family. Yes. So the, the, one of the questions was, should the husband always handle the money? No. I mean, I, who should handle the money? The wife, somebody said the, the one who should, the one who is better with budgeting should handle the numbers. Listen, ladies, okay, so traditionally the men handled the finances and the ladies cooked. Well, listen, if your wife can't cook and you can't do numbers. That was not directed to me. That was not directed no, to me, lady. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. We're here to have a good time today. <laughs> so, so if the wife can't cook and the husband can't do numbers, but the wife can do is is a an accountant at work, and the man loves to cook, why don't we just switch the roles? It make it easier for everybody. You did. Are you now? What are you saying? Are you saying I should cook? Yes, absolutely. Oh, no, not and I should happen. do the numbers. There would be a, a lot better I'm, shoes in our closet if I did that. <laughs> that closet may be a cardboard box on the side of the road, but it would be full of nice shoes. So, so whoever's better at finances. So here is a great question. Um, what's the best way to handle finances of marriage in a marriage, joint or separate checking and savings account? So essentially, uh, I would like to say joint accounts. Um, for a couple of main reasons. Number one is accountability. Accountability. I don't want any secrets in marriage. Okay. My wife has the, uh, can get in everything on my phone and everything on my computer. She has all of my passwords and everything. I want that in my life. I don't want hidden places from her. I do not. I want her to have full access to everything. All right, because the, the, I promise you the tempter is coming your way, and it could come men in the form of pornography or spending too much money that you shouldn't be spending or anything in between, and I want her to have full access to my life and accountability. I also want to be able to call and say, what is this um, Dillard's charge right here? He stalks me around town. Do y'all, do your husband stalk you? He's like, why are you at Marshall's right now? Like, what? <laughs> What are you, How do you no, it know starts that? like this. It starts like this. What are you doing right now? Uh, 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 so what had happened was I needed accountability. Accountability it goes both ways. Um, so I like joint, save, joint checking and savings account for that reason. The second reason I like, this question speaks to a bigger picture issue that I think we ought to avoid. We ought to avoid a mine versus yours mentality. Because that's a real division that can break apart the foundation of your marriage and affect bigger picture things. 
We don't want mine versus yours, okay? It's not my money and her money. It's our money. That's right. Okay? That's what we want. You're in a covenant together. I'm taking on yours and you're taking on mine. When we got married, I brought a lot of debt to the table, but she took it on with me. Okay? When we got married, she had no clue how to handle her finances. I had learned a few things the hard way. I took on that with her, okay? It was together. It was, so we want to avoid mine versus yours. This follow-up question that we got, this was a tough one. <laughs> You're going to laugh. What is the best way to correct your wife when she spends too much money? It was anonymous because yes, I looked Yes, no one name. put their name on that question. I looked. I was yeah. going to go meet him. So, <clears throat> best way to correct your wife, uh, don't. <laughs> Pray to your helper, the Holy Spirit, that he would speak to her heart. <laughs> Um, no, I would say this. I would say this. Uh, the first thing is, I, w- I want to talk about the, the heart behind the question, the spirit behind the question. Because correcting my wife doesn't usually end well. I, I am fully aware that Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5 that wives should submit themselves to their husbands. But first of all, he, he also says, husbands, give your life to your wife as Christ gave his life to the church. So before I ever correct, I have to ask myself, have I given my life to her? The second thing is, even before it says that, and we, we like to skip this part of Ephesians 5, he's speaking to marriages and he says, submit yourselves to one another. So it's a question of control here. And I, I am not, I lead our family, but I'm not in control of our family. And there is a difference. I lead our marriage, but I'm not in control of our marriage. I'm not the boss of our marriage. That's not what we have going on here. I am submitted to her, and she is submitted to me. And that's what Paul taught. I know. But... There are times when we're trying to manage our funds together, what do we do? Someone is spending. And so I think it starts in working together from the beginning. When you say, how do I correct? That usually means we're working from the back forward, Mm -hmm. and we have to engage in the beginning. So Lindsay and I came together this year and really decided to change that. Right. One of the problems with submitting to the person that is running the finances, because you truly do have to submit, you get a plan together, and then he begins, or she, whoever's in charge of the finances, begins to work on chipping away at your plan, right? Well, you kind of need to submit to that process, right? And um, and so we noticed that at the beginning of our marriage, it was always no, 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 no. And I was like, you are like the no man. Do you know the word yes at all? And um, But the problem was, I can't throw a fit about no when he's watching the budget to see what we can and cannot spend, right? And so what, what really helped me was getting an overview, reacquainting myself with what our goals are from the front end, okay? So 
he can say, no, Lindsay, you really don't need to spend that right now because remember, we are trying to chip away at this so we can get here. Or you remember we wanted to go on that trip, so we decided we weren't going to do this, this, and this. But if you're constantly not remembering the vision and the plan for your marriage and you're not communicating it, it just sounds like a lot of no's. Mm -hmm. And then there's the temptation, the tempter that comes and says, well, he won't know if you go and spend a couple bucks here oh, and he there. he speaks to you too. He speaks to me too. But I cut him off at the source. And so... <laughs> But the point is, is that it really helps me to understand the overview. Like if you have a plan, you go back to the plan and re-talk about it. It's just like, you know, write, write the vision, make it plain, go back. It's very biblical, okay? Because yeah. if we lose focus of the vision and the plan, then we start to stray and then there's, then there's conflict. Then there could be division. Then there's division. And we don't want division in our lives. So start up front. I highly recommend Every Dollar App. If you didn't write that down, write it down. We sat down together. She does not do great with numbers, but she can work this app. It is so easy. I really was scared when he downloaded it to my phone. I said, I'm never going to use it because I don't, it's a lot of numbers and it's technology. And those two things make me break out in hives. And so, but he says, look, baby, you take the bubble and you drag it to the budget and look. It goes away. And I was like, yes, I can do that. And then we, I started going, oh, I, instead of going on four dates in the month, let's put that toward our D.C. trip and make that our anniversary trip. We started to reallocate. Is that the correct word? Look at me. That's a big one. I can't spell that. And uh, we began to reallocate money together, which we've never done before. He always reallocated the money. But together because I could see it and where it was going. And it just, it helped me. It put hands and feet to the whole financial process. Engage up front. Work on plans together. Then together we are submitting to each other for help and accountability so that we don't have to look at someone and correct them. I always say this to a husband who says that to me, if, if you're the one correcting your wife, who's correcting you? So, real quick, um, you can clap for that. That was pretty good right there. We got a lot of questions on tithing. I'm going to run through them really quick, quick, quick. This is not a sermon on tithing. First question was, how do I tithe my 10% when I'm struggling to eight, make ends meet living paycheck to paycheck? Um, so the first thing is... Uh, um, the first 10% belongs to God. Put him first and watch what he does with the rest. There, there's something that happens in tithing that is inexplainable because God does things for you that you couldn't do on your own. It uh, requires trust in him. And when you start trusting in God, he'll be faithful back to you. This is one of the, I mean, he says, test me, try me. And so I recommend you try God. Try God for 90 days and see what happens. We, we have a friend that yeah. just did this, and, and immediately God started working on their behalf. Right. So, so try God in this. Number two, should I stop to get tithing to get out of debt? No. Tithe belongs to God. If you put your tithe in God, you put your trust in him, he'll help you get out of debt quicker. Number three, should I tithe off my tax returns? How many of you are, tithe about, are, are excited about tax return season? Yeah. I am. We get money back, and I love it. Um, so for the rest of you, I'm sorry, but for, for those that are getting money back, it's a very simple question. Do you tithe off of your gross or off of your net? Lindsay and I tithe off of our gross. So when we get a tax return, most of that money is taxes we paid in 
and the government is giving back to us. We already pay tax tithes off of that money. It's our money, and so we're free to do with it, with it what we want. So we always give a, a big offering to some, either the church or something specific or someone around the country. Wherever it is, we like to give a, uh, an offering out of that, but we don't pay tithe off of it because we've already tithed. If you pay tithe off of your net, then yes, uh, the first 10% belongs to God. Number three, should I tithe off of my school loans? No. It's a loan. It's not increase. You have to pay it back. Do not tithe off of your student loans. If you are tithing off of your student loans, you might be taking too much. Take less because you're going to have to pay that money back with interest one day. Um, number four, five. Number five. Um, my husband is not a Christian and doesn't want me to tithe off of her income. What should I do? So I'm going to give you some steps and I'm going to lead you to an answer you would not expect to me. Number one, talk with him about it. Try to explain it to him. Buy him a book. I highly recommend uh, The Blessed Life by uh, Robert Morris. Okay, Buy him a book. I know lots of men who do not go to church but have been convinced of the blessings of God that come with tithing, and they send their wife with their tithe check every week. Yeah. So you never know. Number one, uh, talk with him. Try to explain it to him. Try to help him understand. Give him a book to read. Number two, if he won't do that and you have an income, ask him if you can tithe just off of your income. Okay, we won't tithe off of our husband, but what I make, can we tithe off of that? And let's see what God does in our life. Let's try him in this. Number three, if that won't even work, just try the 90-day plan. Just ask, say, can we try for 90 days, one or the other for 90 days, and see what God does in my life? He said try him. Let's try him. Not just blessing our finances, but how would our marriage be? How would our family be? How would our health be? Okay, the blessings of God go beyond our money. And then the, the last one is this. If he says no to all of that, don't tithe. Right. Submit. Mm-hmm. Here's what Peter said. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any one of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Wives, if your husband is unsaved, when you submit to him in a godly manner, believe it or not, you are witnessing to your husband. Yeah. I know it's crazy. Hold the press. The pastor just said, don't tithe. <laughs> don't tithe. Because the whole goal is you never know when your behavior, when God yeah. might get through to him. Because at the end of the day, I want to see your husband saved. Right. That's what I want to see. There is one quick testimony, and I know there we was... We don't have time for it. Well, it's very fast. It's very fast, okay? okay it's got to be there fast. There is a, a couple in our church that have been there, members for a very, very long time, but he didn't want to tithe to the church. And he said, he told his wife, um, baby, the minute that pastor gives a car away, then I'll start tithing. Well, she thought, well, pigs are going to fly. And that's what he meant by that. And so we were in a service during a revival service and the Holy Spirit spoke to Randon and said, give your car away to a single mom. And we just did it. We didn't, we didn't argue with God because, well, first of all, we didn't have time. It was right in front. There was a spotlight. There was a mic. We couldn't argue with the Lord. So a single mom came down. We gave her the keys to his truck and the deed that night. We gave it away. He went home and said, well, baby, God told us to tithe. The pastor gave a car away. So, I mean, you never know when God's going to work it all out in your favor anyway. So submit. Yeah. <laughs> all right, real quick, a lot of questions on retirement and investing. Principle number one is you need to invest. You need to make a plan for retirement. I'll talk more about that. Principle number two is get help. Get help. I'm going to ask you um, if 
to go download part three of our What If series, one of them, either when I preached in Beaumont or Needle, and either one, it's on the app or on the website, and download part three because I talked about it in more detail. But here's the deal. 66% of Americans don't expect to have enough money to retire at age 65. That means two out of three Americans don't think they'll have enough money to retire at age 65. Um, when do you need to start retiring, uh, investing? Yesterday. If you're 20, you should have started yesterday. If you're 50, you should have started yesterday. Get started immediately. Get started. Uh, the Bible teaches in Proverbs 13 and 11, wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappear. Wealth from hard work grows over time. So resist get-rich-quick schemes, okay? If your retirement plan is to buy a lottery ticket every week, that's not a good plan. If you were in, to invest the same amount of money from, from, over the course of time, you could be growing a great retirement. Uh, Get-rich-quick schemes don't work. Uh, resist the urge to invest in things you don't understand. Diversify your investments. The Bible talks about very specific scriptures about these things. The Bible says to, in, to invest your money in seven or eight different things. So when the storms of life come, you'll be able to weather the storm. That's in the Bible. Diversify your investments, but you need to get help. Go see a financial advisor. Please, I beg of you, get started. Most people think, I had a lady come to me and said, Pastor Renan, you know, there's no way I can do this. It's impossible. I'll never be able to retire. It's not impossible. You can right. do it. Right. Go get help. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says the wealth, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Fools spend what it, don't spend everything you get, invest. Okay? So um, I don't want to be one of those 66% that are barely making. See, as, Mer as Americans, many of us are just trying to think how can I save enough money to live comfortably for the rest of my life? A few of us think I want to live the rest of my life and leave something to my kids. Right. How many of you like to leave something to your kids? Yeah. I want you to. But we're so busy just trying to get to the end of our lives, we can't even think about leaving something to our kids. But let me tell you what the Bible says, Proverbs 13 and 22. Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren. We're thinking one generation, God is thinking three generations. You can do it. You can do it. The Bible says with God, nothing is impossible. You can do it. Do it. If you make $50,000 a year, and you can save 10% of that, and you can invest it, which is about $416 a month, assuming you never get paid anymore and you never increase your investment. In five years, you'd have $33,000. In 10 years, you'd have $87,000. In 20 years, you'd have $315,000. In 30 years, you'd have $900,000. In 40 years, you'd have $2.4 million. In 50 years, if you're 20 years old in the room and you could start now, you would have $6.4 million. That's the truth. If you could save $415 a month, you would nearly, you would nearly be a millionaire by the time you were 30, if you, or by the time you were, uh, if, if you got and in, started investing. You could do it, but you have to get started. Uh, in 50 years, that same $6.4 million, here's the deal. You will have invested $250,000. You will have earned $6.14 million. That's scary numbers for most people, but it can be done. If you're in high school, start right now. Yeah. 
One of the best things my father ever did for me was force me to stop spending all my money and start investing it. When the, from the first day I made a paycheck at Triumph Church, I had to start investing it, and I was angry with him about it because I wanted to waste it. And yet now we're further ahead because we started investing young. You can do it. You can do it. Get help. Get involved in a life team. Please sign up. It can make all the difference in your life. The first week of this series, Bishop played you a, a video from Dave Ramsey, and he talked about this momentum theory. And, I, and I'm closing now, so if you'll allow me to transition, and I want to speak to your spirit for a moment, and I want to pray over you. This momentum theorem is this. F-I over T multiplied times G equals unstoppable momentum. Focus intensity over time. Focused intensity over time. You've got to focus on it, and you've got to do it for a period of time. Get, get rich schemes don't work. But here's the great news that you have. It can be multiplied by the power of God. That's what you have access to that unbelievers do not have access to. He wants to multiply everything you're doing, and it's going to result in unstoppable momentum. Earlier this year, I was praying, and God began to speak to me about business owners. And he reminded me of in Luke chapter 5 when Jesus called his disciples, or some of his first disciples. And Jesus is preaching, and Peter and his buddies had been working all night trying to catch fish. They didn't catch anything. They had labored. All, these are professional fishermen that had been working hard at their craft and not caught anything. Business people, have you ever had a time like that where you're working hard and you're not getting any return on your investment? That's where they were. Jesus says, push out again, and I want you to cast your nets again. They're like, you know, Lord, we've already done this. We've already tried this. It's not going to work. And Jesus said, I'm telling you, cast your nets again. And they were obedient to God. And in their obedience, something shifted in that time. It wasn't, they weren't, it wasn't that they weren't doing the right things before. It wasn't that they were fishing in the wrong place. It had nothing to do with fish or water or the market or anything else. It had everything to do with a word from Jesus changed everything. They dropped their nets in the water, and the Bible says that they were pulling in so many fish that their nets began to break, and the next thing you know, their boat was sinking. So what do they do? They called their friends and said, you're going to have to bring another boat and another net over here. And they filled both boats up with fish. Nothing changed except a word from Jesus changed it all. Later, after Jesus has lived his life, he's been crucified, resurrected, uh, they, Jesus finds them out fishing again. Same thing is happening. They're laboring all night and they're not catching any fish. Jesus screams at them, yells at them from the shore. He says, throw your nets on the other side. Now, their boats weren't large. If they were throwing their notes on the left side of the boat and suddenly they threw them on the right side of the boat, it wasn't like that there were tons of fish here that there weren't there. It was the same water. But a word from Jesus changed it all. They catch large, massive fish to the point that the boats are sinking again. Peter says, my God, Lord, is that you? He dives off in the water and starts swimming to shore trying to get to Jesus. Here's the thing I want to speak to you. If you own a business in here, there are times in life when it seems like everything you do is working. And there are times when you are laboring and you are sweating and you are working and there is no return on your investment. But Jesus sent me to tell you today that 2017 is going to be a net tearing and boat sinking kind of year.
I want you to expect God to, to give you a great return on everything that you're doing. Things that weren't working before are about to start working. They're about to start working. And here's the second piece of that. Peter had to call for another boat. I want to speak a word of multiplication in your business. What do I mean by that? Multiple businesses. Maybe you need to start a second business or a third business. Additionally, you might need to look at start franchising, opening other offices. I want you to get ready because that's what the same spirit that is on Triumph of multiple campuses, God is releasing to the businesses of Triumph Church. I want you to get ready for it. If you're a business person can, in this room, you have a business, I don't care if it's small or big, can you just raise your hand? I want to pray that word over you really quickly. I want to pray. If you want to start a business, can you raise your hand? I want to pray. Father, right now, I declare that every hand raised in this room, every person watching online, God, this would be a net tearing and a boat sinking kind of year, a multiplication kind of year. Father, as we are obedient to your words, you are going to bless what you have told us to do. I'm calling in clients. I'm calling in uh, new contracts. I'm calling in great employees. I'm calling in great opportunities, Lord God. I'm calling in things that weren't working, beginning to work in the name of Jesus. It is that kind of year. We bless them now. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 John chapter 1, verse 14, and I'm closing here. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have, this is John speaking. He said, we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. What is he saying? In our lives, we saw the glory of God firsthand. It isn't that we heard about it. It isn't that we read stories about it. We saw the glory and the working of Jesus with our own eyes. We were eyewitnesses. Psalm 27 and 13, I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of living. I want to speak this over every, every family in triumph. God spoke this to me on Christmas morning last year, 2016. He said, 2017 is going to be a year where you will, where you will see my glory firsthand. You will be eyewitnesses to what I am doing in your own life. Wherever you are, whatever it looks like, whatever you're praying for. If it's financially, that's great. If it's in your marriage, that's great. If it's for your kids, that's great. If you're facing health challenges, you're going to see the glory of God firsthand. You're going to be eyewitnesses to what he's doing in your life. We sang this song earlier, uh, How Great You Are, where we're singing hallelujah. That's a powerful word. Basically, it means praise to Yahweh, praise to Jehovah, praise to God. And, and we sing it in English. We got the word from the Latin, alleluia, who got it from Greek. It sounded much the same. They got it from the Hebrew, which was actually hallelujah, meaning praise to Jehovah. Here's the point. Here's what God said to me. He said, Renan, sometimes there are people who don't have enough history with me to say praise God. They don't know that I'm a miracle worker. He said, tell them to call on thousands of years all the way back to Jesus' day and all the way back to David and Abraham and Moses and the father of our faith. And when you sing hallelujah you are calling on the history of the people of God and the faithfulness of God and he is going to release his goodness in your life you may not have seen it but we have so call on that 
I want to end today as we close and I want to pray over you and we're going to sing hallelujah together and we're going to release the miraculous power of God in your life no matter what you need stand with me this morning Father I pray for your people today whatever they're believing for whatever they're seeing whatever they're facing they're going to see your goodness of God at work in their own lives Lord you are so good to us release the miraculous Lord I pray for businesses I pray for single moms trying to go back to school this is their year I pray for raises and bonuses I pray that we would get out of debt that we would have the wealth that you promise the ability to produce wealth Lord God I pray for marriages that they would be stronger than ever before Lord I pray for those in need of healing that you would release your healing power that you went to the whipping post to pay for I declare it right now in the name of Jesus so father as we close today we sing hallelujah to you in the name of Jesus altars are open. Come, let us pray with you.